Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Bible has so much to say about early in the morning. It's quiet, no cell phones, no text messages, all of that. Amen. Early in the morning, God spoke. The people, they gathered early in the morning. They stood there all day long. They were willing to give up something. They were like Jacob. They could not let go until they had their blessing. And they remained standing there the entire time, listening to the word of God. This book, many people died for this book. People died so that you could get this book in your hands. You have no idea how blessed you are. Are you listening? How blessed you are. I've gone to countries and been in places where you can't just sit, come and gather together and open the Bible and read the Word of God and, yes, amen, yeah, praise the Lord. You can't do that. There's a lot of countries and Christians and brothers and sisters of yours that don't even have the book. Or some have, you know, page 43 through, you know, page, you know, 502. And then another underground church has page 503 through page 575, and another underground church has, and another underground, and when they finish reading, finish teaching, this happens today. When they finish reading and they finish teaching, they send the pages to that church. And that church, when they finish, they send it on to another church. We are blessed to have a Bible. Some of us, we got five. Three, four, five of them in our house on the shelf. I know I probably got eight or nine. People die to get this book in your hands. We should read it and reverence it. And don't get me wrong. It's not the book. It's the words that's written in the book. I was talking to a guy just a couple nights ago, actually, at the hotel, and he was telling me that, you know, he just had... he understood, he said, I understand it's not right, but he says, I just feel I can't, I can't write in my Bible. I can't write in it because it just, I know, I just can't write in the Bible. He says, it just feels sacrilegious to me. I, just, I said, man, look, you know what, I understand. He understood it wasn't right, but he just was saying, and I said, you know, understand something. This, this is just a, a tree. This just used to be a tree. It's just paper. It's not the paper that's important. It's the words written on the paper that's important. Didn't David say, I write thy word upon the tables of my heart that I sin not against thee? 
So this is God's word. We should reverence it. It's holy, and we should remember that. The people gave their full attention to the word of God, and their lives were changed in verse 6. Go ahead and look at it. All the people thank God by saying, amen, and amen, or yes, yes. And they pray, lifting up their hands, and they worship by bowing down their heads. Are you going with me? Giving thanks, thanksgiving and praise and, 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 and all in the spirit. And then in verse 8, look at verse 8. They read distinctly. You write and take notes. That means the preacher should speak slow and clear, and they should be able to easily understand, reading every word distinctly. Remember, his goal is to make the people understand, not to impress and entertain. And they gave a sense. That means a preacher should communicate the sense of the passage of Scripture. The preacher must not communicate his own agenda or favorite topics. They help the people to understand the law. You know, if somebody asks you what Calvary Chapel is about, just open up the Nehemiah 8.8. Just take them the, well, what's that, that church all about? What's y'all all about over there? Just open up Nehemiah 8.8 and say, just read that. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. This is what Calvary Chapel is all about right there. One verse. Reading the word of God and understanding it. Isaiah 28.10 tells us how God's word should be taught. Isaiah 28.10 tells us for precept must be upon precept. And line upon line, oh, come on, somebody read it with me. For precept must be upon precept. Everybody read it with me. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's how God wants his word taught. God's word should be taught line upon line, precept upon precept. And when you teach that way, you're teaching verse by verse, expositional exegetical teaching, and it's safe. Don't you know verse by verse is safe? Get more than five people say amen. amen. Isn't it safe? And it keeps you balanced. So if you're teaching a text and you're, you're teaching a Calvinist position, but then you keep going through the scripture, you find yourself teaching an Arminianist position. So people ask you, what's your position? And you really can't take one. Because God's word really does keep you balanced and lets the Bible say what the Bible says. And then when somebody hears something that's convicting, that has nothing, that has nothing to do with the pastor. We teach verse by verse. How many times, honestly, people have said after service, have you been talking to my wife? <laughs> no. I don't even know you. I surely don't know your wife. Man, what you said, we've been, oh, man, that just really, really, t man, or, or some people, you know, you're teaching the word of God and they get offended. Listen, if you get offended, then say ouch or amen. But ne listen, understand something. I never, ever, ever bring things to the pulpit that are going on in the church that I want to talk about and straighten y'all out about. That's not the way. Anybody that I know, actually, 
approaches verse-by-verse expositional teaching. You don't do that. You go verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, every comma, every period, every question mark, every jot, every tittle, everything in the Word of God. And then if people get offended, then that's just the work of the Holy Spirit. Love that. Love it. Nobody can say, oh, Pastor Ronnie, you just, you just, you just got something you're going to, you know. It keeps the preacher from pounding the pulpit and grinding an axe. I won't tell y'all about yourself. What kind of sermon am I? What am I going to preach this week? The sin of gossip. I'm going to tell y'all about yourself. That doesn't happen when you teach verse by verse. It's clear. It's safe. 2 Timothy 4, 1, 2. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Paul tells Timothy he's not to preach philosophy, psychology, or politics. Hmm. He's not to preach his own opinions, his own views, his own feelings. He's not to preach out of the word or springboard from the word. He's to preach the word. How often have we heard preachers open the Bible, read a verse, they start talking, And everything they say has nothing to do with the verse they just even read. And then they never return to the Bible. That's what we call, write it down, springboarding from the word. You read something and you just jump off. (laughs) Man, that hurt. I've heard that. Teach the word. Preach the word. The word, C.H. Spurgeon said this, it is an excellent thing that the gospel is taught by us by degrees. It is not forced home upon men's mind all at once, but it comes thus, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. God does not flash the everlasting daylight on weak eyes in one blaze of glory, but there is at first a dim dawn and the soft incoming of a tender light for tender eyes. And so, by degrees, we see. We can't receive everything that God has for us at once. If God gave, it to all, gave us it all at once, we'd leave this room. We, would, we, we probably, we'd probably burst. <laughs> you just implode. You're like, you just, if God gave, I mean, you think about that. If God gave you everything at once, you grow. And you get more light and more light. Progressive revelation is what we called it, didn't we? And you grow and you get more and you get more and you grow and you grow and you grow. If God gave it all to you at once, you couldn't handle it. Point number two, we're going to move a little quicker. Response to the word of God. In verses 9 through 12, we just read it. Verse 9 tells us all the people wept when they heard the word, which is exactly what God's word is intended to do. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, sometimes correction and reproof hurts. So maybe some of those tears were tears of pain, but that's a good thing. Because when God's word ceases to hurt and ceases to challenge you, And when God's word ceases to correct you, 
you might want to check in. Something's wrong with your heart. It's heart disease. You got heart disease. God's word is supposed to correct you. You're supposed to feel offended. Listen, you're supp- when you hear God's word, you're supposed to feel offended. Because God's word goes against every fiber of, of who we are as, as people. God's word says your heart is not good. How often do we hear, oh, they have a good heart? God says you don't have a good heart. You have a bad heart. You have a black heart. Well, you know, they just got a good heart in their own way. God, everything about the word of God is contrary to our nature. So when you hear it, it should offend you to the point where you say, you know what, I'm not like that. I, I should be like that. And, 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 and I want to change my life and change my heart. You should have that feeling of correction and of reproof, not condemnation, but correction. Condemnation is of the enemy. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. Right? So you should feel convicted and corrected. And if that's not happening, something's very wrong. The Holy Spirit working through the word of God to change the people of God, and there's conviction. And the reason that that, that there was weeping is because there was conviction. But at the same time, our, our sin is never bigger than our knowledge of God. We are great sinners, but Jesus is a greater Savior. And Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've always found that interesting that it doesn't say the joy in the Lord. It says the joy of the Lord. In other words, I I think. I, I think it means the joy belongs to the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. Not joy in the Lord, but joy of the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. And he imparted to you is your strength. There are people that have been carried away, we're talking about here. They've been carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. These people had come back from Babylon and lived under Persia. And they had been infected and affected by the standards and the norms of Babylon. And they had become desensitized to the word of God. They had been desensitized to holiness and to the things of God because they had spent so much time in the world. And if you think you can play in the world and it won't have an effect on you, listen, you're wrong. Christian, you cannot play in the world and it not have an effect on you. If you spend time around the unsaved and worldly people, you will become like them. Now, don't misunderstand me. Let me be very clear here. I am not saying that all Christians should get their beans and their guns and run to the hills and cut off all communication to the world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you are with unsaved friends, you are in effect on a mission field. You got to look at it that way. You're on a mission field. And you can't find fellowship with them because there's no fellowship between light and darkness. And you, Christian, you are light. And the same thing goes for relationships. Oh, but she's so cute. God's got somebody cute for you. If you wait. 
if you wait, and, and, and if she ain't already on the earth, God will make her. I just believe there's one man and one woman that God brings them together. And I don't know how he does it sovereignly. That's why he's God and I'm not. And, you know, he just brings people together and he, God will take somebody from, you know, go way over there, that part of the world. And, and, and this person way over there, that part of the world. And somehow they just seem to meet up. God knows how to do stuff like that because he knows the, the end from the beginning. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Clap your hands. Do that. Clap your hands. Isn't that right? And, 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 and wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. That should be a spiritual gift. Wait on God. Don't be so quick. And don't try to think that you can have ungodly relationships. And, oh, if I can just get him to church, I, he'll change. I know I can get him saved. I'll get him. I know I can get him saved. Listen, you couldn't get you saved. <laughs> amen. Somebody say amen. Come on, wave at me. Somebody wave at me. Yes. I just caught the spirit. <laughs> you ain't going to get him saved. You can't get him saved. Don't, don't, don't think like that. Wait on God in your relationships. Don't play around in the world. These people in our text had spent a lot of time in Babylonian captivity. And they haven't heard the word of God in a long time. And they forgot how to spell holiness. And they forgot what it was to worship God and to be the people of God. So when they heard the word of God, they got excited about the word of God. And there was weeping. Listen, when you hear the word of God and you truly hear the word of God for the first time and you really hear. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about here. When you hear God's word, you will weep. I will never forget, and I'm, I'm coming in real quick here. I will never forget. The very first time I ever walked in Calvary Chapel, keep in mind I come from Pentecostal Church where it was more, you know, preaching and evangelism than there was a teaching of the Word of God. I walk into Calvary Chapel, I'm all dressed up in my suit, my wife's all dressed up in her church clothes, and we, we sit on the back road to Calvary Chapel. They were very relaxed like it is here, and the pastor was teaching the Word of God, and, and I, a revelation, I'll never forget it. When I heard the Word of God, I started crying. I never heard that. I never heard that. And I, I told him, I he wasn't saying anything profound, was he, honey? It wasn't anything like go deep and profound. It was just teaching. There was weeping because the authentic declaration of God's word coupled with genuine repentance produced real joy, real holiness, and real satisfaction. They were overwhelmed with joy because the word of God had become the center of their lives. They were overwhelmed with joy because they felt safe, because the walls were built. They were overwhelmed with joy because they felt a sense of security. They were overwhelmed with joy because they had a sense of well-being. And, and they had a sense of protection and approval and freedom from worry. And they were overwhelmed with joy because they felt forgiven. And they were overwhelmed with joy because the walls were built. And when you experience this kind of joy... You want to tell other people. Our last and final point, point number three, the implementation of the word of God in verse 13 through 18. Now, I'm going to tell you what it says. I ask you to go read it in your own time, okay? In verse 14, beginning in verse 14, it's beautiful. It's a simple obedience. They hadn't celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles in years. Note, 
when they went back to the word of God, they discovered the truths that had been held, it hadn't been held in a thousand years. Notice, so the whole assembly in verse 17 of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and they sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was great gladness, very great gladness. They returned to the word of God. They discovered the truths that hadn't been held in thousands of years. And while in Babylonian captivity, they celebrated the Passover from time to time. But this is the first time in a thousand years that they're celebrating the feast of the Passover. Oh, we got to read this. You got to see this. In verse 13, now on the second day, the heads of the father's houses, all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered together to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, go out to the mountain and bring olive branches and olive trees and oil trees and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of leafy trees to make booze as it is written. And then the people went out and they brought them, made themselves booze, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate, in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. And so the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze. And they sat under those booze because God said, do it. And they hadn't done it. For since the days of Joshua, that was the last time they did it. And when they obeyed the word of God, there was great gladness. And also day by day in verse 18, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. So they get back to the word of God. And when they get back to the word, they discover these truths that hadn't been held again in thousands of years. They discovered that they, they should be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles is when they left Egypt and they slept in the wilderness in booths, in tabernacles to remind them that their forefathers wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And they lived under the stars and God provided for them. And when they came to Kadesh Barnea, they didn't have faith to enter, but God was still faithful. And so they tabernacled in the wilderness. Did you get that? They, 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 they begin to implement the word. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. This is the first time the Feast of Tabernacles have been celebrated in years. In other words, when they got back to the word of God, they discovered the truths that hadn't been held in years. There was great gladness because there was great obedience. Remember I told you Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem and he found more than broken walls. He found broken lives. He found broken hearts. Nehemiah not only rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, but he also rebuilt the people and revival broke out. Why? Because he got back to the word of God. Again, revival happens. True revival takes place when we get back to the word of God. When we turn to God's word and without God's word, there will not be revival. And my prayer for the, for the triangle is that 
pastors and church leaders will get back to this book. And may it be said that we as a church, when we stand before God, that we can say, I can say, that I have not shunned to declare unto you the full counsel of the word of God. If you don't teach verse by verse, you can't say that. So important, they read distinctly in every word. And that's what we do. That's what we're all about here at Calvary Chapel. Teach the word of God. And that's why we ask you to take your kids down there. Say amen. Amen. Say it again. Because I want you to hear every word. Because I believe that this book will change you. It did me. I think it will for you too. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.